Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to be with you again. Uh, I am here with a friend of mine, uh, Brother Toby White. Brother, welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you. It's good to be here. Good to have you. Uh, I am uh, out away from Boise here. Um, and uh, we have uh, about an hour out of Boise yep. um, is where you're teaching. What school are you teaching at? Fruitland. In Fruitland, Fruitland Seminary. Okay. And uh, we, uh, different, different little town out here. Yeah. And I just have had an opportunity to have you on the podcast. So I wanted to come out and, and uh, hear your perspective and talk with you a little bit. Well, thanks for coming out here. Yeah. Coming out in the sticks. We're going to be uh, first and second Peter, probably mostly first Peter, from what we talked about before we mm-hmm. hit record. Um, but before we jump in, uh, Brother White, teach us about you. What should we know? Information that we have to know about you. Got to know about me. Well, I've always been told I have a face for radio. You so. do. <laughs> yeah, so this is perfect. <laughs> this is great. This fits. The dream come true. <laughs> um, I've been out here. I was actually born in McCall, okay. and, uh, but raised in Payette, which great. is about 10 minutes from here. Yeah. K through 12. Okay. My whole life. Uh, in fact, I played sports in Payette, okay. football, baseball, basketball, yeah. and Fruitland was my biggest rival. Awesome. Did not like Fruitland. And now you're teaching here. And now I've been teaching here <laughs> eight years. <laughs> and I love it. I do Sucker. Love it. Isn't that the way the Lord works? It's the way it goes. Yeah. yeah. So um, I met my wife in Payette. Okay. Right here. Uh, high school yeah. sweethearts. Yeah. And she introduced me to the church. Okay. And... Um, How old were you? I was 18. Okay. Right at the end of high school. I was 18 years old. Yeah. Right at the end. Mm-hmm. Yep. And... Uh, Anyways, uh, I eventually married her. Cool. Yep, that, that's, <laughs> so that's good. So I'm married to now, the girl that enters me to church. And, so fun. And uh, we have three kiddos. Yep. And we love them, and they're fabulous. And we just love our little life out here. It's yeah. a small town. It's slow-paced. Yep. And we, we, wouldn't, we just love it. Well, it's wonderful out here, just driving out here. I, I'm a little jealous of just being in the, in the places where you can see across the field and, mm-hmm. and not have power lines and houses and... Full developments going up, so yeah, uh, a little jealous of where you're at out here. But, uh, <laughs> well, there's houses. Yeah, but <laughs> but you know, you can come join. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, I'm so excited to have you. Um, you and I were hired about the same time. You were a, a little behind me in the in the hiring in seminary and institute, and mm-hmm. and so we were kind of in the in the same realm early on in our careers. But but since then we and, and I, I think ever since COVID we just never meet up. Right. right? We did never have time to meet up and. Maybe in the summer, two or three times, we get to see each other and, right, yeah. and whatnot. So, so I'm excited just to talk with you and, and have a have a conversation about what uh, what you see in Peter, okay. uh, first and second Peter. But uh, so with that, maybe we just jump in. Where where should we start? What should we know? Is there anything about Peter we need to we need to understand differently than the other books? Is there any context you want to give us? Is there? Do you want to just jump into the scriptures? What do you want to do? Boy, I love Peter. First of all, yeah. The profound, the powerful Peter, yeah. the one that walked on water. Right. Um, Peter is one of my heroes. Mm. 
Peter's one of my heroes because Peter's relatable to me. Yeah. There, you, there's several times throughout the scriptures where you see Peter stumble mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. and not quite get it right the first time. Yep. And that is my life. Yeah. I just yeah. stumble all the time. <laughs> and it's just nice to know that um, I'm not alone, yeah. that someone as powerful as Peter, I can be like him and right. I can keep trying and I'll get there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I like that. We think about you know in the in the Gospels, we think about times where we see Peter walking on water and then sinking in the water, right? We we have uh, Christ and the um, denying him three times. I mean, we we get some moments where it's it's evident that Peter wasn't perfect. Yeah, and and probably if we had writings of all of the apostles, we would have very specific detail of each of them. Uh, failing miserably in times too, right? But sure. But Peter, we get some pretty clear ones. Some pretty clear ones in there. So yeah, wonderful, wonderful. So we're Peter. We're talking about Peter. Yes. Yeah, I love Peter. You know, the first. Um, if we're going to jump right in, sure. One of the themes that I noticed is that um, well, in every chapter, actually, mm. every chapter of Peter of uh, Peter one speaks of trials or suffering, mm. and that um, they can actually be for our benefit. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow in the middle of the trial, right? It is. Yeah, that's tough. Reminds me of President Nelson talking about joy uh, being found not in um, our circumstance, but in our focus, right? Oh, right. That that uh, the trial is part of life, um, but but joy, happiness, you know. And in fact, there's a verse three of chapter one talks about lively hope. By resurrection, speaking of the resurrection, but that concept of lively hope and that idea of being, you know, lit up and happy and mm. in the middle of our trials, man, there's, it's harder. <laughs> it's true. If there's one thing the gospel can offer, it's hope. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of things promise hope in the world. Mm-hmm. But there really truly is one thing that can offer hope, especially during the most difficult trials. Mm-hmm. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I love verse 7 that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Mm. More precious than gold? Mm. It's so interesting because the world will tell you that the most important things are money, wealth, fame. Yeah, right. But here we learn that trials can be more precious than all those things, yeah. which is kind of a difficult pill to swallow. Yeah. Unless you're willing to think celestial, right? If I'm willing to step back and say, okay, what am I supposed to, what will I become if I accomplish what the Lord wants me to accomplish through this trial? Right. If I learn what I'm supposed to, if I become what I'm supposed to, what's the eventual outcome? Well, it's learning patience or it's learning, you know, whatever the, whatever the things that you're dealing with are. Um, and then if I can compare what I've become to having some gold, and some wealth. Right. Well, I'd rather become. I'd rather become like the Savior and like Heavenly Father. And that's the ultimate goal, right? That's why we're here, to, to become. So Amen. more precious for sure. I can think of a time in my life, uh, this is about five years ago, that my wife and I, we lost our second child. Yeah. And this was probably the most difficult trial I've ever been through in yeah. my entire life. And I can personally testify that that experience, that trial, has helped me become refined. Yeah. And has strengthened my relationship with Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father at a level that I honestly do not think any anything else could have. Yeah. And so though though it is so difficult to ever say thank you mm-hmm. for trials, sure. um, I am grateful for the experiences I've had that yeah. have helped strengthen my faith in Him. 
the most difficult trials. Yeah, and, and the refining concept, right? It even references that in verse 7. Though it be tried with fire, right? That's the purpose of fire in, in gold is to refine it and make it purer, right? Right. And then, and then in, maybe in referencing faith, verse 8, whom have not, so speaking of Jesus, whom have not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, ye believe, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Then verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. So when the Savior comes back and we're granted blessings for what we've become because of the trials of our faith, we will be blessed for the faith we had when we didn't see him, when we were going through like your horrific experience, mm -hmm. and, um, and, the, and the willingness we had to, without seeing him, have faith and move forward and be refined and let some things burn away and become humble and like children, right? I totally agree, 100%. Reminds me of that, I, I, I'm sure it's a general authority that said, quoted this, is it Newton's second law? Mm -hmm. That for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah. Am yeah. I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. But it really is mm -hmm. true. The harder, I feel like the those that go through probably the, the most pain and suffering and hardship have the capability and capacity mm -hmm. to feel the greatest joy. Sure. And that's only made possible through Jesus Christ. And I think it's said there, right there in verse 18 and 19, mm -hmm. um, specifically 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Mm -hmm. That is how we can find hope and healing and growth and happiness is through that atonement. Because of Him, no matter what we've experienced, we can have joy. Yeah, that's really great. I, I think the, I think the idea of becoming, because of our trials, becoming because of the Savior, right? The Savior being the one that gives us the capacity, like you said, um, to obtain something we can't otherwise obtain. Mm -hmm. The enabling power of the atonement, maybe, right? Right. Um, it, it, I might bounce us back to thirteen. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That when you found Christ, you recognize you need grace. Well, mm. grace being something you didn't earn, at least that's how we define it in our modern vernacular, right? And right. Can be, be gracious to me, I'm, I'm learning, right? Or whatever we're saying, right? Right. But when we talk about grace and connect it to the Savior, the scripture speaking about how Christ learned grace for grace uh, comes to my mind. And having studied that concept a little bit, the idea that Christ learned grace for grace. Well, there's a cute little church video uh, Christmas came out at Christmas four or five years ago. And it's this little story of um, Jesus, maybe an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, and uh, Joseph, and they're out kind of working on a wheel or something out in the... And Mary comes to the door, and it's in a completely different language, and there's no... There, I don't think there's really a reason to understand the... Or, is, this, is this ringing a bell? Yes, Okay. absolutely. There's, there's no reason to really understand what's going on. It's evident Mary's calling them in for dinner. Yeah, yeah. They come in, they sit down. Mary's kind of hustling, bustling over in the kitchen, brings a plate over and sets it in front of Joseph. Joseph just starts eating, brings a plate over and sets it in front of Christ, and the little boy's sitting there with, very stoic, looking yeah. at his food and looking at his dad. And yeah. finally Mary sits down, 
she kind of takes a breath and then, and then she picks up her food and she breaks her bread and then she begins to eat. And immediately Jesus picks up his food and starts eating, right? Yeah. But the idea that in that moment, by grace, Christ was being taught something. The Holy Ghost was sending some information to him. Yeah. And he was learning, oh, I should wait for my mom before I eat. Right. And then, having received grace, he acted in grace and did that from that day on forever. Right? That he never didn't wait for his mom again. Yeah. That's a, there's so many differences between me and Christ, but that's like, that's like <laughs> the big one, right? That, right? that I can be taught something and be re- receive grace, something I didn't earn necessarily, but the Spirit's teaching me so I can get better. And then I will, I'll do that thing for a day or two or maybe a week, and then I just backpedal and I don't do that thing anymore because I'm worrying about other things and my, my capacity to understand and follow is limited. And so we go back to this mm-hmm. verse... Gird up the loins of your mind, right? That you, that you could have it, this is verse 13. Right. That you could have it solid in your mind, be sober and hope to the end of, to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That when he finally comes, there will be forgiveness, there will be something I didn't earn, but there will also be all of that learning that will come, that I will gain capacity more and more and more because I was willing to go through the trials and have faith to just stay, Mm. right, all the way through. It reminds me of verse 2. Yeah. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Yeah. Right. If so, verse 3, if so be that tasted that the Lord is gracious. Mm. I mean, think about how much children, babies grow through milk. And it's, it's slow growth, mm-hmm. but it's steady, and you have to have a desire. Yeah. And I guess I, that's kind of been my experience mm-hmm. with the gospel, yep. is I did not grow up in this church. Sure. I grew up with a belief in Jesus, mm-hmm. Christ, but I, I didn't have a great understanding of his gospel and his plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. But it really was kind of these slow and simple mm-hmm. steps, mm-hmm. grace by grace, yep. kind of like a little child just exactly. growing slowly. Right. I did have a desire, and I think that is important. Yep. we got to have a desire. Yeah. Um, but with that, the Lord can do so much. Yeah. He can do so much with our desires. Yeah, that's well said. And, and I think if I, if I consider that, that concept of learning grace for grace like a stair step, like mm-hmm. a set of stairs, right? And, and if every time I'm given grace a new step appears in front of me. When I act in grace, I actually step up on it. And then I give a new grace because I've acted in the grace that I was given before or the the spirit that I was taught with something before. And a new step appears and I step on top of that. Christ became perfect throughout his life by learning everything, line upon line, precept upon precept, grace for grace. As each step came he stepped on it and moved up and moved up and farther and farther and farther until he had obtained everything his father wanted him to in, in, in a per, as a perfect being on earth. Right. You and I, we, we step up and then we back, we jump down three or four steps and we back up, right? And the goal, and I think the talks that we've heard in General Conference about the slope, uh, the aggregate 1%, yeah. you know, some of those talks that help us recognize it's not about, um, it's not about where I started on the steps. It's not about... Um, how many steps I can go up. It's literally about, am I increasing in steps or am I backing up? Am I going down? Yeah. Right? Am I just stepping up one more step a day or, you know, over the course of a year, have I increased my my uh, aptitude for living in the grace that I've been given in? Right. You know, I, I just think there's something really cool there. I, I, I think verse 17, mm-hmm. 
If ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Recognize that God's going to look at you and say, you needed to do something with the grace I gave you, right? That's the work component. Right. And, and Paul, um, you know, recently we've studied the, some really great uh, references of Paul on work and how important that can be, not because it's, it's the thing that saves us, but because it's the things that proves we want Jesus to save us. Right. right? It's the action that is us holding up the sign saying, hey, show me, I, I want some help here, I want some help. You know, I think about Paul referencing some things like that. I think about James referencing some things like yeah. that. Where are you going there? I was just going to yeah, go take there. Us, take us there. What is that? Uh, we have verse 17. In James even, what? Uh, sorry, James chapter 2, verse 17. Great, great. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, yep. being alone. Right? And, and then, then verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And I'll just say on this, this was a kind of a difficult concept for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, being I raised up, Christian, yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by grace you're saved, right? right. Um, yeah. Believing in the Savior, and, and that's kind of all it really took growing up. That was my belief. Is sure. if I, if I ask Him in my heart and, and confessed He was the Savior, then I, I was basically good. Yep. Um, but the more I've lived and, and started to understand the Savior and he, what He wants for me, mm -hmm. I realized that this is this is so true. That faith without works is dead. Everyone likes to say they believe. Mm -hmm. But what about when the Savior said, if you love me, keep my commandments? Yeah. Part of faith, having faith, is following Christ yeah. and trying to do the things that He did. Yeah. And it's been my experience that as I've done that, that, that is how my joy has increased. Right. The more I follow Him, the more I try to do what He's done, which again, I'm not perfect, sure. but striving to do those things, sure. the more joy I have, the, the closer I am in my relationship to the Savior. Yeah, that's really good. And, and I think the idea that... Faith in Jesus is wonderful. That a hope that Jesus can save me is wonderful. But Satan believes in Jesus. Mm. And it doesn't James even reference that? It doesn't even say something to the effect of like, even even Satan oh, right. has faith in Christ, right? He, he knows that he's there. Mm -hmm. uh, so a knowledge of Jesus and a knowledge of what he did is different than a faith in him as, especially as faith is a principle of action, right? Right. If, if faith is just a knowledge of, well, uh, we're all good. We, we all know about Jesus. We're, we're good, right? But faith is more than that. It's a principle of action that requires some work or some effort on our part, even if it's just prayer. The Bible Dictionary definition of prayer talks about, uh, it says this, it says, blessings, um, uh, many, many blessings are made conditional on our asking for them. And then later it says, prayer is a form of work that indicates to Heavenly Father that we are interested in receiving blessings. And some of the blessings that God's willing to give us are made conditional on our asking for them. Right. And He's got like a box of blessings in heaven, and I'm just living on earth, waiting for God to send the blessings He knows I need, but literally He's just waiting. Some of them He has in a box waiting for us to pray about and ask for because that's the way that that blessing is to be given. And I think that even if it's just prayer, right, the, the work that prayer is, is a proof to Heavenly Father that I really want help and I really want to try to do as much as I can for myself and then have the Savior help not just fill the gap but make up all the difference, right? Right. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that concept. Well, there's a, 
there's a great quote. This is by Brad Wilcox. His grace is sufficient. Oh, groundbreaking. If you haven't oh, watched that, damn. and you have to, okay, let me let me caveat this. Yeah. There is an Ensign article by him that came out like two weeks later, after two months maybe after the BYU address he gave. And the BYU address he gave was like an hour and 10 minutes or something. And then the the uh, Ensign article is like, I don't know, two pages. So there's no way it covers everything. Right. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes when we reference this talk, people go find the Ensign article mm -hmm. and they read it. And it's kind of thin. I mean, it's all there, kind of. Right. But it's definitely not as good as the talk. No. So if you've not seen the talk, go find Brad Wilcox, BYU address. Do you have it right there? I do. Is there a year on it? Uh, there? Let's think here. July 12, 2011. Okay. So, mm. It will change your life. It will change how you see grace. It will change how you see works. You're amazing. So, sorry. Well, just this quote here, what he says. He says, I got born again Christian friends who say to me, you Mormons are trying to earn your way to heaven. I say, no, we're not earning heaven. We are learning heaven. Yeah. We're preparing for it. We're practicing for it. Yeah. We're just trying to become like our Savior. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and a little That's later, uh, yeah, a little later in there, he says, "Heaven will not be heaven for those who have not become heavenly." Yeah, right. It would be it would be horrible to be around somebody as good as God, and want to be bad. Yeah, <laughs> you would feel so bad all the time. Right. About who you are. Right. It's true. So, so I don't know that works, uh, and even faith is something Heavenly Father needs us to have as much as we need to have it. Right? We, Absolutely. Need, we need the growth. We need the progression and the development there. 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe 22, maybe if we jump to 22. Sure. Seeing ye have purified your souls in being the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. I, mm -hmm. I was thinking as you were talking earlier about the idea of charity. Mm. Right, that, that charity ultimately is the thing that makes us most like Christ, right? It's the thing that you can't obtain the kingdom of heaven without. Yeah. And this idea that everything I do, every act I, I participate in, faith that I have, everything I do ultimately is helping me become more charitable, see things from other people's perspective, do things for other people before I do things for myself. Um, just all of those ideas that charity is kind of the end of, uh, of faith, right? It's, it's kind of that when I get charity and I've got that thing, I've, I've kind of accomplished it. You're there. Yeah. Well, you, you see that in Moroni 7, hmm. verse 46. If you have not charity, you have nothing. Yeah. For charity never faileth. Verse 47, but, but charity is the pure love of Christ and it endureth forever. Yeah. And whoso is found of it, the last day it shall be well with him. And 48, I love this. Interesting. He says, Pray unto the Father with all energy of heart that you might be filled with this love which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his son, Jesus right. Christ. So it's a gift. It's a gift and it's something that you have to <clears throat> work for and ask for. Yeah. And... and uh, it, it you develop it, but but it but it's given to you. It's not. Yes. It's it's something that is is applied to you because of the things you've done. Yeah. You know that that section there has a whole list of things that charity is. Right, um, charity is. Uh, it's right there. Kind. Yeah, kind and envy not. not. It, 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 uh, years ago, Jim Edwards, who we've had on the podcast, he was the institute director for uh, a long period of time. Um, he taught me how to read that. Um, and test myself for charity. And it's interesting because that verse, what verse is that in there? That, well, 45 is what you're referencing, and then all the way to 48. Okay, so verse 45, if you read verse 45 and you insert your own name, 
into that, right? So read it as Toby. Okay. Okay. And Toby suffereth long and is kind. Is that true? Most of the time. Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift it for you. Is it true at work? Yeah. Yeah. Is it true at home? Yeah. Is it always true at home like it is always true at work? <sighs> well, <laughs> I'm trying. Right? So what, what Jim taught me, Brother Edwards taught me was, if I can read that verse in a work setting and everything be true, okay. then, I'm, then I'm doing okay in the charity realm. But if I shift it and go home and those things start changing, I'm not patient, I'm not kind, mm. I don't envy, right? At work, I envy much more than I envy at home, right? right my right. children, my wife, I love them, I don't have envy for them. Maybe some of their capacities, their skills, I'm like, man, I wish I was that way. Right. But, but at work, seeing you and seeing other colleagues around me, I'm like envious all the time. I wish I was that, I need to steal that, I need to become like that, right? right. But at, but at work, it's easier for me to be kind and patient. I get students who are asking the same question they asked six months ago that we've really covered six months ago, and I'm patient, and we're just going. But if my kid asks me the same question I covered like a minute and a half ago, I'm like not patient. And so, so, mm -hmm. the, so the test is, when I think the test is this. When that verse, all those components are true for me in every setting, I am mastering charity. But if in any setting I'm I'm not I'm not okay in that thing, I think I'm beginning to understand charity, but I'm not a master of it yet. I haven't I haven't really figured it out. I've figured out how to feign charity in certain circumstances, right? Right. I've figured out how to fake it because that's how I should be and I know that. But the natural part of me is not always like that. And when I find places in my life that are not always like that, that's an indication that I need to improve. Interesting. And to develop that. I love that. Yeah, it's cool. Brother Edwards is a smart guy. Oh, my right? heavens. You guys Super are, smart yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Maybe ties us into um, the, the very last verse of First Peter 1. No, sorry, first, last, verse 23. It says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That's verse 23 of Peter 1. Right. Uh, that idea that... If it's a corruptible seed, it will not always be good, right? It, it's something that, because of circumstance, can change. Yeah. But if it's uncorrupt, incorruptible by the Word of God, it's established as godly as much as it can be in mm. my life, right? It really is planted in my heart, not going to change. Um, it is something that the circumstance of my life won't alter mm. because it's incorruptible now. I love that. I, it, it reminds me of my favorite chapter in all of Peter, this idea of corruption yeah. and incorruption. Yeah, let's Can go. We there. go there. Yeah. So I just got to preface this. This is chapter three. This is this is a set of verses that changed my life. Okay. Uh, again, I mentioned I didn't grow up in the church. I right. grew up in the Baptist and Nazarene and, and went to the Methodist church for a while. Yeah. And when I first uh, started investigating the church. I was kind of uh, opposed to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, I just had heard some things online and, and through sure. other people, and I was just having a really hard time opening up to the missionaries and those that were members of the church. And mm -hmm. until we got to this principle or this doctrine um, in our discussions, mm -hmm. uh, my whole life I always wondered what happens to those who die mm -hmm. that never had a chance to learn the gospel mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. or to learn about Jesus. Yeah. And I have a, a great-grandfather 
who is one of my heroes, a World War II vet, uh, one of the most honest and kind men I've ever met in my mm -hmm. life. And his parents were not religious. Mm -hmm. They just didn't grow up with God. But he was as, as Christ-like as almost anyone I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, what happens to Grandpa Orb? Where does he go? Yeah. And I'd always been taught that if you don't believe in Jesus, while on earth, you're not going to be with him. You're going to a bad place, mm -hmm. heaven or hell. Yeah. Until we got to verse 18. Yeah. He chapter says, three. Uh, chapter 3, For Christ also hath once suffered for the sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, hmm. by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. This is the idea, the, the doctrine of the spirit world was mm -hmm. introduced to my life. Mm -hmm. And I was taught that after we die, we go to one or two places, spirit prison mm -hmm. or spirit paradise. Yeah. Those that never had an opportunity to accept the gospel will have that opportunity. They will be able to learn. Referencing corruption and corruption, mm -hmm. those that did struggle mm -hmm. but didn't quite have an understanding of the plan of salvation and what they were supposed to do will have that opportunity to learn it yeah. and repent of their sins. That changed everything for me mm -hmm. because it provided hope. Going back to hope, the very first yeah. thing Peter starts with is hope in Christ. Yeah. And, and I'll never, ever forget those moments of learning about the plan of salvation in the spirit world. And, and the plan, when you understand the plan, I think even as a Christian, right, coming from that world, when the plan is opened up and the doors open and you see, oh, this is bigger than just what I'm doing on earth, right? The, the, the objective is more than just, can I, can I get it on earth, right? I, I love, the, the, this is one of my favorite doctrines to teach about and to talk about is the plan of salvation. Um, because I think we as members of the church, we don't really put it within the scope that it actually is. We, we think of it as like this, okay, well, afterlife, this thing will happen, right? Right. And, and I think we misunderstand that before life and during life and after life, um, it was the plan. It, is, it has always been the plan. Even before it came up in our grand meeting in the beginning, this is how Heavenly Father became Heavenly Father, was to go through a very similar plan um, so that we can obtain what he has, right? That's his, that's his ultimate goal is to, to not only just have us be resurrected beings, not to just worship him forever, but to have what he has and to, and to be happy like he's happy. And, and it, it reminds me, and, and I love that this uh, happened to come up today because um, I think these verses, if you read section 138 of the Doctrine and Covenants, um, this whole section uh, from President Joseph F. Smith. Uh, this is in 1918 was when this section of the Doctrine and Covenants came about. Um, Joseph F. Smith has he's lost a number of his own children. His grandchildren have passed away. He's seen all of World War I. He's seen the plague. He's seen some horrific death. And a lot of people on earth were dying. And he's the prophet of the day. Right. Right? And so he's, he's thinking about this concept. And in fact, he says, he says in... Uh, Doctrine and Covenants 138, verse 25, he says, I marveled, for I understood that the Savior spent about three years in the ministry among the Jews and those of the house of Israel, endeavoring to teach them the everlasting gospel and call them unto repentance. And yet, notwithstanding his mighty works and miracles and proclamation of truth and great power and authority, there was but few who hearkened to his voice. Mm -hmm. Then verse 27, but his ministry among those who were dead was limited to a brief time 
intervening between the crucifixion and his resurrection. Three days, a brief time. Right. So how, in his mind, he's like, how on earth did Jesus in three and a half years do what he did on earth and only a few followed him, but somehow in three days in the next life, that's going to be enough to help what, whatever needs to happen up there? Right. And then he, he, he reads this. He says, I wondered at the words of Peter, wherein he said that the Son of God preached unto the spirits in prison who sometime were disobedient. Um, uh, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. So we're talking about clear back. I mean, this is all the people who have ever died. Ago. Right? He says, as I wondered, so he's thinking about this verse in Peter that we're studying. He says in verse 29, as I wondered, my eyes were open and my understanding quickened, and I perceived that the Lord went not in person among the wicked and disobedient who had rejected the truth to teach them, but behold, from among the righteous, he organized his forces and he taught them, you're the ones that are going to go teach. You're the ones that are going to go be mission presidents over this group and that group and this, uh, this uh, generation or, or whatever, right? Because when he gets into it, uh, he says what they were supposed to teach in verse 33, faith in the God, repentance from sin, vicarious baptism for remission of sin, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and all other things that are necessary in 34, uh, that they might redeem, 35, that they might be redeemed um, and through the sacrifice of the Son of God. But then we get to 38 and through, oh, I don't know, through 49, and he's naming the people that Christ went up and taught. He went up and taught Adam and Eve and Abel and Seth and Noah, and I'm just skipping through, and Shem and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Elias, Malachi, Elijah. These are all people who fully knew the gospel. Right. So did Christ need to go teach them? No. He just needed to go up and say, okay, here's how we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. Elijah, you're responsible for all the people that lived during your time, or however he did it, right? And I want you to take these righteous people who already also know the gospel and are faithful, and I want you to have them be teachers, and they're going to report back to you, or however it worked out. But to me, as I read section 138, this is a list of mission presidents that were called in the pre-existence, post-existence, in that three-day period between Christ's death and resurrection, to go and to teach and to help those who died without the gospel be given a way to find the Savior's atonement. And then, just the coolest doctrine, um, in fact, in my Answering Gospel Questions class the other day, we read um, about the spirit world, and we were studying about the spirit world, and we went to um, a very basic resource that I think many in the church know about, but nobody ever uses it. The book is the Gospel Principles Manual, and it, there used to be a class, right? There used to be a class. I remember taking it, and uh, it and it really was was offered, I think, for those young in the gospel, whether they were new members or they just were younger, and they and and you took it, right? Yep, sure did. So the Gospel Principles Manual is still available in the Gospel Library, and if you go to the Gospel Library and you go to Books and Lessons, and then choose gospel principles, I think it's chapter 41 that covers the post-mortal world. And there's so much in here that is worth reading. Things that, even as a lifelong member of the church, I'm like learning every time I read from this manual. It's amazing. Right. So, in uh, towards the end of this chapter, there's a section on spirit prison. It says, the Apostle Peter referred to the post-mortal spirit world as a prison, which it is for some. And then he referenced this chapter, chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. Now listen to this. In the spirit prison, 
are the spirits of those who have not yet received the gospel of Jesus Christ. These spirits have agency and may be enticed by both good and evil. If they accept the gospel and the ordinances performed for them in the temple, they may leave the spirit prison and dwell in paradise. So, so that's a significant thing. That's why they're like caring about temple work. Because they're stuck in prison until you do their temple work. Oh, yeah. Then they go to paradise and they can teach and they can all the things, right? Right. So it's bigger than just spirit paradise and prison. You're stuck in prison until you get the covenants are made, right? Yeah. That that a person like your grandfather, yep, good guy, right? Oh yeah, good guy, gets the other side, uh, just didn't understand, wasn't really taught fully, didn't get it. Gets the other side and is taught the gospel by, I don't know, Adam, I don't know, who, whoever it is, President sure. Monson, whoever it was, right? Yeah. That, that is assigned to be his priesthood leader. This chapter also references how the church is organized there, how the priesthood still exists. Whatever priesthood level you held on earth, you will be there with, with the same assignments you had on earth. So let's use your grandfather, for example. He passed away and he's in a spirit prison type of place because he doesn't have the gospel. He doesn't have hope of a resurrection. And uh, I mean, he's going to. He's going to be resurrected. But he doesn't understand all that yet right. until what? Until somebody comes and teaches him. Right. Well, as soon as somebody comes and teaches him, he can't go from prison to paradise. He's got to wait for the ordinances to be done in the temple for him. Yep. So imagine how many people are in paradise who have been taught who are waiting for their temple ordinances to be done so that they can transverse from the from the prison space to the paradise space. Now maybe they're not actually different places. And maybe once you understand uh, the gospel, you you effectively have hope and you understand Christ's atonement. But but ultimately, you can't teach, you can't do anything with your knowledge until you've had the covenants made for you in the temple. Yep. So significant. And again, I, I would just point this this whole book, the Gospel Principles Manual. You know, as a member of the church, I think if you read it from beginning to end, it is it's kind of put together in a logical order of understanding the gospel. But there are so many things so clearly described in there, like that, that you know, I I guess I never really thought about. Well, when do they go? Do they get to go from paradise to prison, or right. how, or vice versa? How does that work? And so clearly described, right? It just made so much sense to me. And beyond that, it just felt right. Yeah. I mean, this is a doctrine and a plan of a loving Heavenly Father. Yeah. And it reminds me of what our prophet has said recently to the youth, but really to everyone. Mm -hmm. He says, and this was given in 2019, March. Okay. 2019, a call to enlist and gather Israel. Yeah, yeah. You remember the yeah, time? Yeah, I do. <laughs> there is nothing happening on this earth right now that is more important than that. There is nothing of greater consequence absolutely nothing. This gathering, the gathering of Israel, should mean everything to you. This is the mission for which you were sent to earth. Yeah. And that gathering is happening on both sides of the veil. Brother Swenson, mm. I consider it a privilege and an honor to be a part of that gathering, yeah. to be his hands and his feet to do that work. Yeah. It is the greatest blessing of my life. To, to be a disciple of Christ and to do those ordinances. And I'll say that my wife and I did we performed those ordinances for my grandpa and That's grandma, cool. and it was one of the highlights of my life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's really cool. I appreciate that you shared that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I concur. I agree with you that that uh, to be part of the gathering, um, you know, as teachers in the, in the church, it's a great job. It's a great place to be. 
it isn't the place you're going to make the most money. Nope. Right? <laughs> it, is, it isn't the place where you maybe could receive the most notoriety in life. Um, and, and so there are, there are draws away from teaching for the church. But, but all of those draws to me are very difficult to even look at, knowing that I have this opportunity to work so closely with guys like you, with the students and the youth, with the training that we get from, from general authorities and, and just our local leaders, right? I mean, everybody we work with is just such a stand-up person, yeah. uh, men and women. And, and then I think about the youth, right? The youth that listened to that talk in 2019, that was, what, five years ago? Yeah. Every single one of them is entering or is already a young adult, Right? right, and does that mean that that talk is no longer applicable to them? No, sir. Or, or was it that, hey, youth, I'm giving you this assignment to enlist, and for the rest of your life, you should enlist, right? Yeah. And 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 now that they're young adults and they're mission age and they're going on missions or they're coming back from missions, what does it look like to be enlisted in that in that army to go and to gather? Right. Does, right. Does it look like it did for you and me coming home from missions? Maybe. Sure. But but. It, that, but I think the call is different now, right? Mm-hmm. For you and me, it was like, hey, now go get married and don't screw up, right? Just, just do life, right? Right. But I think these youth are being told to do something different, and it's to gather and to be part of that. There's nothing more important. There's nothing bigger going on. There really isn't. And the reality is that Satan is really good at what he does, and he's going to try to confuse you or distract you yep. from the things that matter most. And yep. you see that right there. And going back to Second yeah. Peter, we're in Second Peter now, okay. chapter 2. It says, there were false prophets also among the people, mm-hmm. even as there shall be false teachers among you, mm-hmm. who privily shall bring the damnable heresies, even denying the Lord mm-hmm. that brought them, and bring unto themselves swift destruction. Mm-hmm. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Mm-hmm. And it is so true that we live in a world that's so much in your face, and Satan wants to distract us from the things that... That really matter most, and so he's going to try to flash the money and the popularity mm-hmm. and the clothes or whatever it is to try to get us off the path. Yeah. And um, I just think it's so important to bind ourselves to Christ so we don't get distracted and don't fall away. Yeah, I, I really love that. And, and, and it reminded me, as we were reading through this before we, uh, we hit record, this section, speaking about our day, um, I think speaking about Peter's day too, but but also speaking of our day, uh, many shall follow their pernicious ways. Though through covetousness shall they feign words, make merchandise of you. This idea that they're denying the Lord that bought them, they're false teachers, they're they're creating this falsity around themselves is exactly, I think, what President Nelson in his October 2023 talk meant when he said, thinking celestial helps us view trials and oppositions in a new life. And then this counsel, never take counsel of those who don't believe. Mm. That I mean, if you're the prophet and you're saying a statement like that, you have thought that through, right? You, you know what you're saying and you have, it's time to say this, Right. It says, seek, he said, seek guidance from the voices you can trust, from prophets, seals, revelators, and from the whisperings of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't think that President Nelson meant, in fact, I know he didn't, that if your mental health counselor is not a Christian, you should not listen to them. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what he meant. But I do think if there is any inkling that someone 
is counseling you away from faith or away from something that is teaching you to draw closer to the Savior or closer to your Father, anything that's anti-family, anything that's pushing you away from your family or pushing you, obviously if there's abuse and things, that's a different story, right? But, but anything that is contrary to the gospel, I think lines up exactly with those that are following their pernicious ways through covetousness, they seek with feigned words, make merchandise of you. We live in a world where you could go to a counselor now and see that counselor until he retires because they will just continue to find problems and it will just continue to be a thing for you. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying all counselors are that way, but, but I think we live in a world where everybody needs a counselor and everybody needs to, to, to say, my counselor's helping me with this right now. Next week, it'll be that. And I think when we forget that the Savior is the ultimate counselor mm. and the ultimate advisor in our lives and we go to, and we miss listening to the Holy Ghost like President Nelson invited us to do, mm. prophets and seers and yes. man, we're missing the, the most important counselor. Yeah, well, and it says it right there in verse nine after he talks about, mm. man, even angels, right? We're yeah. led away, but verse nine, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Mm-hmm. He knows. Mm-hmm. And our prophet talked about this. Mm. He says, this was back in... Um, Oh, what, when was it that he said to Brigham Young? I'll have to get the date for go, you. Go find it. I, uh, it's right here. It will not be possible to survive without. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, when was that? Oh, here we go. Got it. It's, hold on here. Yeah, April 2018. Hmm. In coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without yeah. the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. We have got to bind ourselves to the Savior mm-hmm. that we might be worthy of that Spirit to yep. guide us and direct us. And I can speak from experience because when I was first looking into the church, I was kind of victim of false teachers, the things I read online. Mm-hmm. If you go to chapter 3, mm-hmm. uh, what is it, verse Three, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own uh, lusts. Mm -hmm. People trying to convince me, scoff at me for wanting to learn about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It was a struggle. Mm. But as I started to turn to the Savior and listen to the Spirit, that is when I started to find peace and my heart started opening to what I was being taught. Mm. But it is a battle, and you really do have to strive daily to bind yourself to Christ, that you yeah. can navigate those scoffs and those false teachers that, yeah. that, that lie in wait to try to deceive. Man, I, I really love that. I, I might just take us back into chapter 2, because I think what he says there, and, and it ties all, all of this is tying together, right? Peter is teaching the same concepts all the way through right. both of these epistles. Now, chapter 2, um, he, he's speaking about... Um, those that have that are that are drawing others away, right? Mm-hmm. And in in thirteen he says, and shall receive reward of unrighteousness, mm-hmm. as they that count it pleasure to riot in the day, in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Eyes full of adultery, they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. Cursed children, it says at the end of fourteen. Mm. And then we get into 17. These are wells without water. Boom. Clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh through much wantonness. Mm. When, when 
When we hear the world talking to us or people from the world talking to us about what we should want and what we should do, isn't it exactly alluring us through the lusts of the flesh? They promise them liberty. They themselves are the servants of corruption. Yep. Right? I mean, that's, that's verse 19. Yep. You, you cannot... 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome the latter and is worse with them than the beginning. So many people will hear the gospel, hear it, recognize the beauty of it, the value in it, and say, but I'd rather have the world. Yeah. I'd rather have what, what I can get out of this right now because it's now and I can have it now. And, and so much of the gospel is helping us deal with the conflict on earth that will always be there for this short period of time so that we can have no conflict for eternity. Yeah. And Satan flips it around. Satan says, don't have conflict now, and then you'll have a whole heap of conflict for the rest of eternity, right? Right. And that's what he's into. I don't know why he's into that, but that uh, just is, it's just what he's into. It's so weird to me. If you could just keep an eternal perspective. Yeah. Just remember the long run, the end game. Yeah. There was a study done uh, not that long ago, and they asked a bunch of people, would you rather have a billion dollars today mm -hmm. or eternity with the Savior? Yeah. It's 50-50. Was it really? It's 50-50. Wow. You think about it, we're in the moment. It's in our face. All we can see is right yeah. now. Yeah. But the gospel requires us to look beyond today. Yeah. Where are we going to be at? And Yeah. Yeah, I, I really love that. I, I, I think as we are willing to, like Peter and like President Nelson is inviting us to think celestial and think past the problems of today, recognize that the Savior can help you, uh, we will have a different mindset. We will be okay with the trials and challenges that we face, even if they're like your horrible experience, right? Absolutely. You, you, you have a well of water that has water in it. Yep. Right? Wells without water. That's what the world's offering. Yep. But a well full of endless water that is quenchable instantly, right? I mean, uh, that's the well that the Savior offers. So grateful for that. And it has brought so much peace to my life. Yeah. Uh, beyond description. Yeah. I, mean, I think my favorite scripture of all time, John 4, 4, mm. and he must needs go through Samaria. Mm. The story of the woman of the well yep. who was drinking water that that cannot satisfy. Mm. Alone, scared, mm. by herself, and it was just a few mo moments with Christ that changed her life forever, mm. that brought her true peace. And that's what the gospel can offer, that nothing else can. Yeah. Everything else is temporary. It's temporal. Yeah. As we read earlier, the gold will rust and corrupt, but the Savior's forever. It, it, he really is. And, and you know, it's interesting, in a, at the Institute, we've been having some training and working on trying to center Christ in our lessons a little more. Right. And uh, just recently, we were, we were talking about how one way to do that is to find Christ in your students. Mm. As they act, as they do things in class, to be able to recognize Christ-like behaviors, Christ-like attributes, Christ-like skills, whatever it is, and point them out and help mm. them see it. And it was so interesting. I was speaking with someone yesterday, and the the concern was, well, if I if I point it out in Jimmy and I don't point it out in Sally, then doesn't Sally feel bad? If Jimmy gets it but Sally doesn't get it because they got thirty kids in the room, then doesn't Sally feel bad? And I've thought about that since last night, and I've thought, yeah, but it, didn't the Savior do that? When he was focused on the woman at the well, he helped her the way she needed to be helped yeah. and told her where she was good and didn't 
help everybody that was coming to the well that day. Right. Right? He, he just felt like, right now, I'm supposed to help this Timmy mm -hmm. and this Sally. And in my class over the course of a year, in my family over the course of my life with them, it will balance out. I don't need to worry about being Christ-like to some and not to others. Over the course of my life, it will all balance out, and I can be Christ-like to everyone around me. So I think it's the adversary. I think the adversary works on us, right? He's like, nah, don't point Christ out in those kids, because what if you don't point it out in all the kids, right? right? I, mean, I think it's just how he works, right? He makes us afraid yeah. of identifying the Savior in, in the people around us. Hmm. So interesting. That it's been so interesting. interesting. Yeah, I've tried to to think of that and work on that as a bishop. Yeah. I have a lot of people in my ward, Yeah, and they, I want to make them all feel loved. Right. But at the end of the day, somebody once told me, it's not our job to save. Yeah. It's his. Yep. It's our job to do our best, to try to follow the Spirit, like President Nelson said. Mm -hmm. To the best of our ability, no one's perfect, yep. but try to follow that Spirit, and, and it'll lead us yeah. to who we need to say hi yeah. to and put our arms around and counsel. And well, and isn't if our ultimate objective is to bring them to Christ, we don't have to save them. Right? If I can just point them to the Savior and say, help, help, let him help you find how to be saved. Yeah. Right? Whatever your circumstances, if I can just get you there and help you see him, he'll tell you how to be saved. He'll, through the Spirit, help you learn what you need to learn. And as a bishop, you're a guide. You're a director. Right? right? right. You, can, you can help find a space for them. And, and being open to the Spirit and as a, as a common judge, you're given some tools that really can... But if, if we put that weight on ourselves that we need to save them, man, that, that's the Savior's burden, isn't it? It's too much. It's too heavy. Way too heavy. It's too heavy. Well, Brother White, this has been fantastic. I just love, you can see how wonderful my job is. I get to do this every week. and <laughs> jealous. It's super fun. So I, uh, I just really have been grateful for our time together today to sit and talk and, and discuss what we see in, in First and Second Peter. If there was something, I kind of close all of our podcast episodes like this. Uh, if there was something that you would really want the young people in the church or just out in the world uh, to know and to feel or believe, if you could just force it on them, take their agency away mm -hmm. and just force it on them, what is the thing you would say to them? What is the thing in all of your experience teaching for the church you would just want to impress onto a young person? Two things. Okay. First, that your Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ love you mm. beyond description. Mm. And you cannot outrun that. Mm -hmm. And you never can. Mm -hmm. They adore you and always will. And the second is that this is the church of Jesus Christ restored in the latter days. Yeah. Speaking as a person that did not grow up with it mm. and took me a while to open up to it, I can testify with all my heart that this is His church mm. and that this is His work. And I know that the gathering of Israel is the most important thing happening on earth right now. Yeah. And I am, I am so grateful to be a part of it, just a little little tiny part of it, to try to be His hands daily. Yeah. Um, and I love Him. I love my Savior with all my heart. Mm -hmm. Brother White, thank you. I, you know, as you're speaking about that, and I'm thinking about not knowing you before your, your membership in the church, but thinking about what we've talked about, about spirit prison and, and uh, paradise, and knowing how much you've influenced those around you as, after you join the church. I think maybe earth is viewed from the other side as a, type of prison in paradise too, mm. where, uh, you know, prior to your knowledge of the gospel and making covenants uh, in the temple and in, in waters of baptism, you lived in a sort of prison. And, uh, and then after you've been able to make those covenants, 
man, the blessings that you can be in other people's lives and, and to help. I'm just so grateful that that we have you in Seminary and Institute, that you're out here in this little tiny town <laughs> doing all the good that you're doing out here. I just am so grateful and, and that you've come on to be here with us today. Just grateful for you. Well, thank you so much. Sure. I appreciate it. That means a lot. Well, will you come back and do it again? I'd love to. If I drive out here? If you drive out okay. here. Okay. All right, brother. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.